When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Veyer makes ocean-ready watches assembled in the U.S., constructed from high-quality materials like surgical-grade steel, sapphire crystal dial, which is, of course, scratch-resistant. I've banged mine around a ton. It still looks great. The watches are beautiful enough to dress up for a formal occasion and sturdy enough to wear in any real-world environment. Mine has 660 feet of water resistance with a waterproof warranty, And then, of course, perpetual timekeeping with incredible accuracy. They make automatic watches or quartz watches that run on a battery. I have a solar-powered version, and with even just six hours of sunlight, it'll power the watch for six months. Check it all out at VayerWatches.com. Veyer is spelled V-A-E-R, and our promo code will save you 15%. The promo code is SPLENDOR1515, of course. Poke around, read some of the reviews. They'll break it down better than I can. There's over 5,000 five-star reviews. High quality, versatile use, quality built. VayerWatches.com. I've been telling you about my wife and I swapping our wardrobes over to Rourke Clothing. It's easy for us because the clothes suit our lifestyle. Comfortable materials, fashionable fits, but built for actual adventure. The Rourke team is always on the road, adventuring to some far-flung destination, but often our adventures are just hustling with our two-year-old daily missions to the park and the beach, dealing with spills and sand, but those smartly placed pockets with zips, the warmth and the breathability of the clothes are all things that simplify our day. I don't really think about that stuff in the day-to-day, but the next morning, I inevitably find myself always reaching for my Rourke 
pieces. So each of the season's collection is inspired from trips that the crew takes throughout the year, surfers, skaters, and climbers. The current fall collection was inspired by a trip to Japan, but right now, in this very moment, if you follow the Rourke team on social media, you'll see that they're actually in Sardinia. So it's kind of a cool way to follow along and see what comes of that trip months down the road. Anyway, go to Rourke.com, see it all, begin to build your wardrobe, and by the way, grab gifts for the holidays for your loved ones. We'll save you 15% with our promo code SPLENDOR15. You can purchase confidently on their website knowing that they have free returns and exchanges within 30 days of the purchase, or you could just find a local store near you where you could try everything on in person. But you could find that store or find anything you need on Rourke.com. Rourke is spelled R-O-A-R-K. Rourke.com. Enjoy. Every step of the way We walked alive is a number this weekend, myself and um, a lot of people who you've heard here on Surf Splendor will be getting together at the Del Mar Fairgrounds in San Diego at the Boardroom Show, the world's largest consumer surfboard trade show. It'll all be centered around a shaping competition called the Icons of Foam. This year, they are honoring Bing Copeland of the famed Bing Surfboards. Born Herbert Bingham Copeland in 1936, in the Los Angeles County beachfront suburb of Torrance, Bing was raised in nearby Manhattan Beach and began surfing at age 13. So that would have been in 1949 he began surfing. And he did so with Greg Knoll. Copeland and Knoll both learned how to make surfboards from American surfboard manufacturing pioneer Dale Velzi. And in 1959, Copeland opened Bing Surfboards on the Hermosa beachfront. And he went on to become one of the most popular board makers of the decade. Surfer Shaper Donald Takayama was an early Bing team writer. Shaper Dick Brewer produced the Bing Pipeliner model in 1967. And the company's most famous surfer was Hawaiian-born David Nueva, who fixed his name to two hot-selling Bing models, the Nose Rider and the Lightweight. The late 1960s shortboard revolution turned out to be disastrous for all established board manufacturers, including Bing. And most surfers at that time began buying boards from, quote, backyard builders, who were just quicker to pick up on the newest designs and trends. Bing surfboards survived, and in 1973, they actually began to market the Bonzer, which you probably know now, but then it was a futuristic board invented by Malcolm and Duncan Campbell, featured double concave bottom and three fins, designs which would later become totally standard. It's what you've been riding if you've been riding any normal shortboard since then. But Copeland himself, by that time, had grown tired of the business. He's feeling estranged from the long-haired surf scene. So in 1974, he licensed the shop name out and he moved with his wife and three children to Ketchum, Idaho, where he became a partner in a moving and storage business. And that's where he still lives to this day. This information that I just provided was largely parsed from Matt Warshaw's Encyclopedia of Surfing, found at eos.surf on the internet. It's three bucks a month to have access to and to support. Without it, surfing's history would be largely unvetted, unverified, and spread carelessly across the web, or realistically, it would be inaccessible to you and I, bound in the magazines, boxed in people's garages. 
So go to eos.surf to support and keep it alive and keep it growing. This conversation today with Ben Copeland was recorded in July of 2019, so a little over four years ago. If you're anywhere in Southern California, swing by the boardroom show this weekend to meet the man in person. It'll be a great weekend. He'll be on hand to uh, judge the winning boards throughout the Icons of Foam event with Matt Calvani. So without further ado, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor, and here is my conversation with board building icon, Bing Copeland. And it's sinking fast. I'm drowning in the bosom. Got no future, got no past. But my heart is not weary. It's a light and it's free. I got nothing but affection for all those who've sailed with me. Everybody moving, if they ain't already there. Everybody got to move somewhere. Stick with me, baby. Stick with me anyhow. Things should start to get interesting right about now. Congratulations on 60 years. Thank you. First of all. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. Um, well, if you add the fact that I started when I was 23 years old and you add that to 60 years, it makes me 83 years old. So It's wild. Still, <laughs> Here I am. Still um, kicking, though. I mean, still kicking, high energy. Kicking, but not energy. surfing anymore. I quit at 75. Oh, did you really? Yeah. How was that? Was that difficult for you? Well, it got difficult. You know, it got to be where it really wasn't fun. Actually, I was surfing in uh, in Baja in warm water for the last, you know, 10 years of my surfing uh, career. And uh, it was fine. You know, I enjoyed it. But then it just got to where I was having trouble getting to my feet. I ended up doing a lot of belly sliding, which was really a lot of fun. Sure. And, uh, and, uh, and I had some back surgery when I was around 72, 73, and uh, it affected my my nerves and my legs. Gotcha. So uh, it, I just, it got where I couldn't do it, and it wasn't fun. I, you know, it wasn't fun. I remember my very last wave. Do you really? I really do, yeah. And I got it? out of the water saying, that's it. Really? Yeah. You had been contemplating maybe well, stopping? I've been thinking and... about it, yeah. But, but with this wave, you know, it was a n- nice little uh, spot in Baja, just a, a nice little left and right, and it was a beach break kind of a thing. And, and I was uh, I was belly sliding this wave, and it was a fun wave. It was like it was overhead because I was laying down. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I, I was got to the shore break, and there were some rocks on the beach, and I thought, well, I better do an island pull out and pull a nose through and get out of this wave and it, it I couldn't I couldn't bury it so I washed up on the beach the nose kind of broke off and the board was all banged up and my knees were banged up and I went you know this is a good time to quit got it so it became a threat to your health kind of surfing. well perhaps it just no you couldn't physically well for a long time I couldn't do what I did when I was younger but yeah uh, I couldn't have fun anymore when it wasn't fun anymore that's when it's time to quit see it's interesting because you almost think of surfing as being um, a fountain of youth. Like it, it actually is restorative rather than. Exactly. How, you know, and I constantly talk to guys and they say, oh, I'm never going to quit surfing. I'm never going to quit surfing. And I know better. <laughs> they are. Yeah. They yeah. will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A day will come. I said the same thing when I was in my 30s and sure. 40s, you know. Uh, I'm never going to quit this sport. But, you know, when it's time, when it's time to hang it up, you know. Yeah. What do you miss about it? 
oh, I miss a lot about it. I, you know, I miss the thrill of shooting through a section and, and, uh, and sitting around chatting with your friends, uh, BSing, I guess we call it. Um, uh, yeah, I miss all that. I feel like um, as I've gotten older, surfing has taken on a lot of different meaning for me. And now when I was young, it was strictly the act of riding the wave was all I cared about. Right. And specifically progress was what I cared about. So if I yeah, didn't surf yeah. better today than yesterday, yeah. I left the water angry, actually, yeah, exactly, which is yeah, really silly. Which, which is not good. <laughs> no, exactly. And so now I've seen the error of my ways. Yeah. And uh, I find now, you know, hanging out, BSing with my friends in the yeah. parking lot when I get to the beach yeah. has kind of now been folded into the surf experience. It's all part of it, yeah. And even if I don't actually paddle out, like maybe the waves are terrible, and Windy we just or something, yeah, right. Yeah. I still feel like I surfed today, quote unquote, <laughs> because I just went through the ritual. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. surfing has become, or or kind of more uh, accurately, if I do paddle out. Being in the water is part of surfing. Yeah. Feeling the sun is part of surfing. Yeah. Yeah. All of that. Um, and I don't have to necessarily perform better or almost don't even have to catch a wave. Just kind of going through yeah. it is part yeah. of surfing. So that's why I'm asking you about like, what do you miss about it? Because you can still kind of have a lot of the experience sure. without the yeah. actual yeah. wave riding. Well, itself. I've done that too. Yeah. Once I once I quit, I would still go down to the beach okay. with the guys and I would hang out on the beach when they were out surfing. I just decided not to go out anymore right you know i'd go in the water and swim around a little bit and stuff but but i i was done surfing yeah i yeah, knew when I, I knew when it was time and i've talked to some other i have friends uh, hap jacobs and and uh and, and john mcfarland who are both like four years older than i am and and they said the same thing you know that's they it, they they realized when it was time to give it up right yeah right um i want to get touch on the 60 year detail. I mean, we'll get into the origin story and kind of recount some of the early days, but we can't not acknowledge 60 years is a tremendous amount of time for a business to survive, to be around in this modern day. I mean, well, I, I I have been around that long. However, there was a dip in it in the, in the mid seventies when the short boards came in and, and the drug and hippie era and, uh, the the volume, you know, I had a big factory and a bunch of employees, and the demand faded as as the shortboards came in. A lot of the older surfers gave up. Right. You know, they they didn't want to change to a shortboard, so they just you know they had jobs and everything, so they, they were kind of weekend surfers and this and that. Sure. And they're the guys that paid full price for their boards, where the the kids with the shortboards were building them in the garages and this and that and. So it, it got real difficult, and that's when I leased my, 1974, when I leased my, my, uh, my name to Larry Gordon, Gordon Smith, and mm-hmm. then several of my employees moved down to San Diego. Mike Eaton, one of them, the primer, pr- premier shaper at the time, um, moved to San Diego and worked with Larry for the next um, almost 15 years until that was our, our agreement was for 15 years, and mm-hmm. then Mike Eaton took it and... And uh, opened his own little shop in San Diego, and but he was building eating boards and and doing other things. He was never a a real promoter, uh, you know. He was he was just a shaper. Sure. So uh, which are two different things. Yes, exactly. We've seen a lot of great shapers not build great businesses. Exactly. Kind of, yeah. Exactly. So he 
he uh, the, the name pretty much faded there until I ran into Matt Calvani, and then it came back in, in 2000. So there's a pretty good period of time there where there there was not a lot of Bings being built. Got but it. we we were a, a business throughout the whole sure. time. Sure. So what's interesting is um, people talk about that shortboard revolution, Mm -hmm. but I don't think they always uh, account for the cultural revolution. Like the prior to the shortboard revolution, it was short hair, kind of a tailored look, style, trim, all these things that came with the longboard. And the shortboard revolution, long hair, hippie, it's not only a different aesthetic, but an entirely different ethos as well, you know? So it's almost like if you're doing one thing, you, you, you can't embrace the other. I think it's much more than just the well, length of the board getting cut. Going way back, um, surfers were wearing hair long, not long hair like shoulder length, but yeah. they were in long enough hair that they were looked down in the beginning in the early '60s. They were looked down on uh, for being, you know, not wanting to work and just wanting to surf and Vagrants. hang out on the beach and let right. the hair grow and right. stuff like that. So well, let's go there actually um you started being in 1959 1959, i guess would have been the year the year before that though you did a six-month surf trip before that well when i was 19 years old um i went to hawaii with five other guys six of us went to hawaii it was uh, we had we i had just graduated high school um and i just joined the life or passed the lifeguard test we we lifeguarded that summer saved up some money so in the fall of of 1955, uh, no, 1954 actually, we went to Hawaii, and then and then that, you know, we lasted uh, our money lasted till about Christmas or January, and we were running out of money, and Rick Stoner and myself were both in the Coast Guard Reserve, so we just went active in Hawaii and got to stay in Hawaii, so. So for the next two years, we were on a ship on Sand Island in, in Hawaii, got to surf Ala Moana almost every day, and we surfed the country on weekends, and when we would have a 30-day leave each year, we'd go to we'd go spend it in our, where all the, our shipmates were guys from inland and stuff that weren't surfers, they would go home to visit mom and stuff like that. Rick and I went out to the country in our station wagon and slept in the station wagon and surfed every day. It was great. What was it like back then? Oh, it was wonderful. I mean, you knew everybody on the beach, and um, it was just, uh, it was perfect. It really was. What it, spots were you surfing? Well, mostly Sunset. Uh, we did surf Waimea. Um, uh, Makaha, when we, first, when we first went to the country, when we were there, 55 to 57, we first went to the country, we started surfing Makaha. And then once we were in the Coast Guard, we, we went to the North Shore and surfed uh, um uh, sunset mostly, just all, all up and down there. Haleiwa to sunset, you know, all those all those spots. Whose boards were you riding? Velzi boards, Velzi balsa boards that you brought uh, with, with you from that we California? brought with us from California. Okay. Uh, halfway through, I sold my Velzi board and had Joe Quig shape a balsa board for me. He was living on Diamond Head, and I glassed that in the in the uh, paint locker, the forecastle of the the ship I was on. Wow, which was pretty cool. I mean, amazing. Some, some of the some of the other shipmates were amazed that I could do all that stuff. You know. Who else was building boards in Hawaii at the time? <sighs> you know, I'm not sure. I can't really recall anybody sure. building boards. I think most of them were coming from the mainland at that time. Got it. 
you know, no, that early, I don't think there was anybody else. other than Quig. I know Quig. Sure. Uh, so you spend those two years in the Coast Guard in, in the Coast Guard, yeah. Um, uh, just surfing a lot. I mean, Alamoana was our basic spot. We could get off. We could get off the ship, and you know, we had to wear uniforms to get off the ship. And we'd get in our station wagon. We'd drive to Alamoana. Halfway there, we'd get a one guy get in the back and change into his trunks. Well, the other guy was driving, and then we'd get a stoplight, and we'd switch spots and <laughs> take Hilarious. off your uniform, put on your trunks. So we got to Alamona, we were ready to hit the water, and, and so we surfed till dark. Yeah. And luckily, we, we made friends with a, uh, a family that had a, uh, a sailboat, a yacht, uh, in the yacht harbor, and so we got keys to the restroom. We got to, So we'd sleep in our station wagon right there. We had hot showers, and we got out of the water. It was, it was pretty cool. Dreamy. So, um. Tell me about the trip you did with Stoner. It was okay, six well, months across the Pacific? Well, that was, yeah, that was Rick and I that, that joined the Coast Guard. Um, and it was Rick and I that, that did all this I was telling you. And the people with the yacht, well, once we got out of the Coast Guard, we came back to California, went back to our lifeguard jobs. And, and the people that we were used to sail with, that we were their crew, they came through California saying, you know, we're going to sail around the world. You guys want to go? And so we dropped everything and, and went back to Hawaii with them, worked on the boat for a while. And that's when we took off on this uh, year-long trip. It was a year-long trip. Okay. That was a year-long what trip. Was, what well, was the idea? Well, it was two years in the Coast Guard and another year sailing. What was the idea? Where did you want, what were your well, spots their, that you wanted Well, their idea to was to sail everywhere around the South, the South Pacific and everything. So we ended up going, we sailed to, from Honolulu to Tahiti, to Papiedi and Tahiti, uh, and we stayed there for a while. We sailed, you know, to Morea and some of the other little islands around there. And, and we were there for a few months uh, in Tahiti. And then we were leaving Tahiti with them, and their mast split, just going out of the, just sail, just sailing out of Tahiti. And they decided to go back to Tahiti and have it repaired. And we had met a, a, a an Australian retired harbor pilot that had built his own boat and he was uh, in Tahiti with four Australian young Australian guys as his crew he's a bigger boat and he had offered to take us on because we wanted to get at least to Australia you know for surfing because uh, the year before 58 is when Greg and and Mike Bright and Tommy Zahn and those guys uh, introduced the surfboards to Australia so we wanted to get there, but we never made it. <laughs> we got on uh, on this yacht with the Australian, uh, and we sailed uh, to Fiji and Samoa and ended up in uh, Auckland, New Zealand. And when we were in Auckland, we met a, a couple of young guys on the dock, and we asked them about waves, and they said, oh, yeah, on the, on the Tasman side, there's, there's surf. And, and we said, well, we'd like to try it. We had our boards with us, naturally, on the, on the yacht. And so they came by the next day, and we bloated our boards on their car, and they drove us out to, you know, this is our first experience driving on the wrong side of the road. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it was a little scary to us. But we remember, it was an hour and a half drive, I guess, out to the country. And uh, remember coming down the hill to P, this beach called Piha, P-I-H-A. And uh, it looked kind of like San Onofre to us, you know. It was like head high, and, and the waves looked great. And we got there, and... So the guys that brought us uh, introduced us to uh, the surf club members on the beach and 
because they were the lifeguard service. The surf clubs were lifeguards at the time. They the unpaid, but they were. It was a club. Sure. And uh, and and we just said, you know, we really like to try our surfboards in your waves and stuff. And they they go, oh, it's very dangerous out there. <laughs> but we'll we'll send a. Uh, you can do it, but we'll send a couple guys out with surf skis to to watch you and stuff and make sure you're okay. And we said, okay, whatever. And uh, and as we were paddling out, you know, there was some white water and stuff, and we were turning turtle, rolling, rolling waves and stuff, and. And they did. They didn't get out with their surf skis, oh, and Rick, Rick and I got out and ended up catching, um, you know, eight or ten waves uh, each. And and we started screwing around because we we're showing off. They were all staying on the beach. In fact, they were wading out into the water as we were surfing, and and we started doing some flying kickouts and go behinds and things like that just for showing off. And they just went absolutely crazy. Wow! As we paddled in, there was there were guys literally neck deep in the water, going, "Give me a go, mate!" Oh my! <laughs> they all wanted to try our boards. So uh, literally, our boards never left the water there during the daylight hours for the next uh, week or week and a half at least. That's amazing. Yeah, they just went crazy. So wow! They, they they it's what's amazing to me now. Maybe not so much then, is that a fifty-eight to fifty-nine. You know, it, it hit in Australia, but New Zealand didn't know about it. Right. You know, and, they, and they're close enough, well, you would think. No. But w- without internet and without social media and all the stuff that com- that makes the world a smaller place now, it yeah. was it was it took a while for. I was going to ask you that actually is how when you're mapping out that um, <clears throat> sailing trip, how do you even know which spots to go to? What was your awareness of waves around the world? We didn't have any. I mean, there was no magazines, right? No, no. In fact, we so. we missed the waves in Tahiti. There's great waves in Tahiti. So you didn't surf in Tahiti? No, we didn't surf oh, in Tahiti. We okay. rode we rode motorbikes around the island, but I guess uh, the, the the time we did it, it just there was no waves. Right. We, we didn't see waves anywhere. Or they're just reef breaks out, kind of behind right. where you we, could see. When we when we went across to Morea, the entrance to the to to uh, the the anchorage in Morea, we we found some waves right at the entrance of the two reefs, and we we went out and caught some waves in Morea, but that okay. was it. Yeah. And it was just small. So you're just completely winging it. Pine- oh, oh, totally. We had, we had no <laughs> idea. Nobody, nobody did. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how did that trip come to an end, and where did you find yourself when you Well, we back? stayed there. We, we had a, a one-year leave from the lifeguard service. The lifeguards were going to be our permanent jobs oh okay you know that was our our goal was to be permanent lifeguards you know and never never go east of pacific coast highway yeah it's <laughs> um, a good plan yeah um so we had to be back within a year so at the end of the year we booked on the orient line and uh, came back and ended up in san francisco my parents met us there and drove us back to the south bay and we went back to lifeguarding um real quick detour who are your parents like to first of all let you go to Hawaii as a young kid, let you kind of live this lifestyle. Well, it's got to be pretty unique. When I went to Hawaii, and yeah, you know, I just graduated high school, and in those days, they were know, cool with it. Yeah. They, Did they have expectations for what they wanted you to do with your life? Or? No. Okay. No, no. My dad at that point, you know, he he had several jobs in uh, in the South Bay in Hermosa Beach and Manhattan Beach, Redondo Beach. Uh, he ended up having a hardware store. Okay. He was pretty good with his hands, and I, I think that's where I gained a little bit of my dexterity with 
you know, with uh, materials and things was hanging around. Got it. My dad's uh, garage with him. So you end up in the South Bay, Manhattan Beach, mm-hmm. Manhattan, and Manhattan Pier. And tell me about kind of the impetus of Bing surfboards. Well, actually, a little. Can I go a little bit before Please. Bing surfboards? Uh, in 1949 is when I really started surfing, and that's uh, I've, I've I've said this before. But uh, hanging hanging on the Manhattan Pier when I was like 13 years old, Greg Knoll was 12. Uh, I was I was hanging on the rail of the pier watching Velzy and the older guys surf on the redwood and balsa planks and and, ply, and plywood paddle boards and stuff. They didn't have this was before balsa shaped boards even. Okay. Uh, and I was watch, you know one day I was watching him and and uh, and this guy came up and moved stand beside me and we started talking. Turns out it was Greg Knoll. And we met, and I was much bigger than he was then, in those days. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and and then Velzi saw us watching. He was a lifeguard on the pier at the time. And he said, hey, boys, I got a, I got a old redwood, small redwood balsa on the beach if you guys want to try surfing. So we went out and took it out and purled a bunch of times. And, and, and I, I remember finally catching a wave without purling and standing up and you know, you're going straight off to the beach, but just going, wow, this is cool. Wow. <laughs> so your and Noel's first experience surfing was together on yeah, the same board. Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. Amazing. Whether he admits it or not, it, it, sure. he, he might have a different story <laughs> as time goes by. <laughs> I'm sure his story will be equally as fun, though. And yeah, his, good. yeah, and his will be uh, inflicted with uh, all kinds of bad language and stuff. Of course. Um so from that point to Bing surfboards, kind of the start of Bing surfboards. Well, yeah. Um, when we came back from um, from our trip uh, and went back to the lifeguard service, we started because we made six boards, uh, half a dozen boards on the beach using cheese. We found styrofoam in Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, Peter Byers, a young tomato grower, on, on right at Piha Beach took us into Auckland and we found uh, styrofoam and epoxy resin and some fiberglass. And uh, we went back out and with some plywood stringers, glued them up and, and using a cheese grater, we shaped shapes of styrofoam and, and we glassed them. And uh, they were a bit crude, but uh, you know, I, I kept thinking to myself, you know, I can do this. Cause I'd been hanging around Velzy's shop you know, from the 13 years old on. Okay. Uh, and I would I would uh, shape fins for him and repair boards and cut templates and on the balsa and, and all, just f- for nothing, you know, just for being around. Of course. So I had a little bit of knowledge on how, how it's built. So I was impressed with the boards we built the, or, or the fact that we could build them. So when we came back to California <coughs> and you went back to our lifeguard jobs, Rick and I both... We're making some boards. At this point, we were using styrofoam because it was before polyurethane foam, even. Uh, some balsa, reshaping some balsa boards, and we made some boards out of uh, styrofoam and, and epoxy in my parents' garage. And then we finally got kicked out of that because we were making too much dust and smell and all that stuff. And uh, and so we decided, well, let's just open a little shop. So we found a little building right on the on the strand on the beach in, in Hermosa, and we opened that. It was a surfboards by Bing and Rick. Had a little logo made, a friend of ours drew it for us. And uh, so that, you know, we only really did that for several months, four or five months together. And then Rick was going to get, decided to get married, and he decided he better have a permanent job. 
because he's going to get be responsible now. Sure. <laughs> so he decided to um, uh, just just pursue his lifeguard career. And so I bought him out and just changed it to surfboards by Bing at that time. And then eventually it became Bing Surfboards. Waterwaystravel.com. Our listener surf trip to El Salvador in April of 2024 is officially sold out. We are thrilled for that. We are actually mapping out a Chicama trip for the fall of 2024, about one year from now. So stay tuned for that and feel free to send me an email if you're interested in that. And I'll... Um, let you know as soon as I have dates and details and numbers for that. My email is surfsplendor at gmail.com. But Waterways is making all of this happen. We've dreamed of it for a long time. They are making this happen. They will do the same for you wherever you want to go in the world. Tavarua, Indonesia, uh, Central America, South Africa, Samoa, many, many more locations. You can find them all on their website. They are the most experienced surf travel concierge in the world. They've been doing it since 1994. So what is that, nearly 30 years now? Save the headaches, save money, save time, and ensure that you score. That's most important. There's no reason not to use waterwaystravel.com. Thank me later and enjoy. RealWaterSports.com is doing a fall sale right now. They do various sales throughout the year, and ultimately, I think that's a reflection of them having this massive surfboard inventory, 1,500 boards in inventory at any given time. So there's always a new batch coming in. There's used boards coming back through, and this creates ample opportunity for you and I to get smoking deals a few times a year. You can grab clothing, board bags, accessories, but they also have surfboards that are heavily discounted. Uh, I'm pulling up their website right now. There's a Ryan Seiko Convoy. It's a 6'8 Swallowtail. It's marked 48% down. Crazy. It's just under 600 bucks. There's a handful of KT surfboards from Maui that are all priced under $500. Brand new surfboards under 500 bucks. Uh, there's Takayamas. They have fins for sale. They have traction for sale. Just peruse and you will find something that you've been needing uh, or maybe just holiday gifting ideas up to 70% off site wide at realwatersports.com. Have fun. And you were strictly selling surfboards or were you selling nothing but Got surfboards? It. We didn't even have wax. Okay. Guys went to the grocery store and bought Parawax, you know, the. Canning yeah. wax. Yeah. And, uh, um, no, we had nothing at that in the beginning. I just I, I would build a board and and in fact I was still lifeguarding. So days I had to lifeguard, uh, I'd close the stuff the shop, you know, and just go lifeguard. So it would just kind of be one board at a time one to board, individual, board probably time. friends yeah. or and other my lifeguards. Friends, Mike Bright and Sonny Vardaman opened a little glass shop okay. for, for a couple of the other guys that were starting up. It was called Surf Glass. And so I would do the shaping and, and they would do the glassing. Do you remember what you paid Rick for his half of the business at no, the time? No, I don't. It was pretty cheap. Yeah, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, it was know? pretty cheap. Well, our boards started off at $85 a piece. Okay. You know, in the beginning. Yeah. And uh, luckily, you know, because I was a lifeguard, I had a lot of lifeguard friends that bought boards from me. And, and also I uh, got involved with the Haggerty Surf Club in Palos Verdes. And uh, a bunch of the Haggerty's members were buying boards for me. And I think the combination of all those generated the interest and really got me started. Got it. And that was 1959 is when it that started? That was 1959 and 60, yeah. 
Okay. Um, within a bit, a relatively short period of time, you really did become one of the most popular brands, well, maybe in the everybody world. Everybody liked my boards, thankfully. Okay. So they <laughs> yeah. just they worked better. Well, you know, I, I hope so, but you know, you don't know for sure. I mean, I I didn't test them against other boards and okay. stuff. I just built what I thought was right, and um, uh, it, you know, we really in those days it was uh, a clicky thing. The still the is. Jacobs guys, yeah. you know, would buy the Jacobs boards, and the Greg Knoll boys buy the Greg Knolls, and the and the Bing guys bought Bings, and that's yeah. the way it was. In in the early '60s. <laughs> That's all we sold. Even once I opened the sales shop, which was like 1963 or four at the latest, I opened a shop on the highway because by then Jacobs had one on the highway. Greg Knoll had one on the highway. I thought I better have one on the highway too. So I opened one on the highway. And again, we sold surfboards. Eventually we started selling uh, wax and some of uh, when, when Surfer Magazine started, they had some posters and things. We sold posters and and I had a kid making fins, and so we sold fins. And um, and dive and surf started the body glove thing, you know, in the mid '60s. And so, so we started selling uh, short johns and things like that for surfing, which which were a big boon to surfers in those days. Yeah. And uh, we, we knit and t-shirts. We would go to Penny's Town Craft and buy the t-shirts and pennies and screen them in my in my living room. My wife and I would screen them, and, and we'd sell the T-shirts in the shop with our logos on them. But we didn't have clothing and stuff in those days. And you were exclusively selling Bing surfboards? We were, Oh, exclusively selling Bing surfboards, and we didn't wholesale. In fact, uh, oh, really? Yeah. For, for many years there, uh, even when the... Well, what happened is the, when the magazine came out, the East Coast started calling, saying, what's your wholesale price? Yeah. we go... We don't have a wholesale price. Yeah. You know, we've been just selling, we're selling all the boards we could build just to the local kids. Right. And both, both, both Greg and Hap and, and myself, um, you know, we were as busy as we could be just taking care of the local kids. And then now the East Coast wants and Texas wants to buy boards, you know. So it, we fi it finally worked out. And after the, for like maybe the first year or so, I in my advertisement, I said, no dealers, please. You know, hmm. I, just, I just didn't want to have, I didn't need dealers. You know? It's funny. That's actually a business strategy now is exclusivity. Really? You know, you, well, sure. Yeah. You did it out of just necessity. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah. the sport was growing or the culture was growing at a faster clip than you could probably keep up with. Oh, absolutely. But it, it is a problem, though, for businesses. It's worth discussing and hearing your story about it because scaling is difficult. People mm -hmm. make missteps with scaling all the time yeah. or they bring on... Uh, line of credit, you know, and yeah. then and then the yeah. business doesn't really deliver, and so then they're held accountable for that. And yeah. there's just a million ways you can go wrong. Exactly. But keeping it small yeah. and high quality oriented right. and yeah. protecting well, the brand. We is... didn't know. We didn't think ahead on those things, for sure. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> we were just by the seat of our pants, right? Running our businesses, you know. We really didn't even have a sophisticated accounting system in the beginning, and. Uh, well, as as you're um, trying to scale up and meet those demands, were you still building all the boards yourself? Yeah. yeah. Well, up until up until the the sixty two or three, I was doing all the shaping. Yeah. And then I then I hired uh, someone to help me uh, 
uh, and um, first one was the, what they called himself the great Johnny Antoniatis. Uh, Johnny Rice actually is his name when he was in Santa Cruz. Uh, he's been a shaper forever. But he shaped with me for a little bit and then uh, Dick Mobley came and, and shaped for me and then and then I I decided along the way that I really didn't like production shaping. I enjoyed um, shaping boards for friends, uh, you know, on, per order and, and experimenting with different models and things like that or different 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 things. But I didn't like just doing the same thing day after day after day. And so I ended up mostly hiring guys to do that and finding good craftsmen to do it. So I had some some good shapers throughout the years. How do you define, or how did you at the time, define quality? We hear surfboard manufacturers talk about quality all the time, yeah. and I've yet to hear somebody give me like a real definitive, objective explanation of what well, it is. Well, you know, in those days it was difficult because the materials were not always great. You know, the foam uh, makers, uh, Clark and Walker foam, both went through periods of, of having voids and, and, and tears and bad, bad spots in the foam. And, and so the quality, you know, really varied as, as the materials sophisticated, got, became more sophisticated and everything. So okay. it's, it's hard to say. But what, in the beginning, we didn't polish rails even. You know, now boards are polished top and bottom, you know, so they're shiny like a, like a new car. But in those days, we just did a nice gloss coat left the gloss coat, filed the rails, and eventually started polishing the rails. But in the very beginning, we just filed the rails, filed the, the overlap of the two gloss coats. So what was the difference between a quality board versus a non-quality board? It's hard to say, you know. Uh, I think... Strength? Well, it, we were all basically, the, all the major guys were using basically the same materials. So strength was pretty equal, you know, and unless somebody, you know, was light on the, or, or over sanded or light on the glassing or something, you know, but, yeah. but we all, in the beginning, we all used a lot of glass. And so they were heavy and, right. it, and naturally, um, it, it, it's kind of important now for some of the classic boards that are still around mm -hmm. is the fact that we glassed them with more glass than they're getting today. I mean, the boards that are being built today won't be around 60 years from now. Definitely Unless somebody not. puts it away and doesn't ever use it. You know? Yeah. And we should mention that your um, Serving Heritage and Culture Center has a dozen or two. A dozen. But a dozen boards on display right yeah, now right. From, from. What's the, the oldest one? Uh, early 60s. Crazy. Yeah. So right at the beginning. Yeah. Early 60s right up through uh, uh, 68, 72, 73. Like with the Bonzers was 73. But, I mean, so the board from 62 that's out there do you remember that board do you remember no. building it no, no. okay no. You, you know there have been so many go through my 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 yeah. system that sure um so you were among the more most popular board builders at that time in that era what dethroned you i don't know if i was ever dethroned <laughs> exactly well uh, there what it, disillusioned me was the shortboard era and you know, even though we adapted to it pretty well, uh, in fact, very well, as boards were going shorter, uh, but it was the lack of customers. I had a big factory and a big crew and a big overhead, and we weren't getting 
the orders. Nobody was. Everybody went out. Jacobs went out. Greg Dahl went out. Um, uh, Rick sort of hung on because he was still a lifeguard and running it on the side. Okay. Uh, and Hobie had the catamarans and things, you know. Um, but a lot, again, uh, Gordon and Smith were involved in some other things too. So everybody was hurting from it. Sure. And, and a bunch of us just gave up. And, and like Hap Jacobs and Dewey Weber and Greg Noel went fishing, mm. commercial, fish, commercial fishing. You um, didn't fully give up. You adopted or adapted your strategy to just be a license, license out yeah, your brand, I basically. License. I had an offer to move to Idaho, to Sun Valley, Idaho, and, 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 uh, be, and uh, get into a business up there with a really good friend of mine who actually worked with me in the surfboard business. He was a salesman for me for years and years, and he was, uh, he was so good that he could, uh, he could run the factory when I went to Hawaii for promotion for weeks on end and stuff and uh, he became just a real good friend so I ended up going in business with him in Idaho and I'm still in business with him in Idaho all Amazing. these years later. So. Um, tell me about that decision that had to be hugely um, stressful for it you. It was difficult. I mean to move away from the ocean period yeah, 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 has yeah. got to be insane. It was difficult Cause but, but it, you know, everything was adding. Well, I had the offer to, to move up there with him and be involved in, in his business. And, uh, you know, I could just see the handwriting on the wall. It wasn't going to be, the next few years weren't going to be good for the surfboard business in general. And, um, and, and you know, this was the drug era and so forth and, and hippie dumb and all this and that. My kids were kind of in the early young teens, you know, 12, 12, 9, 10, and 12, that kind of thing. And I just kind of felt it was a time to get them out of here. Hmm. Of course, I didn't realize that same problems were in the, in the mountains too. But, sure. but uh, it was a smaller town and you knew everything that was going on. And okay. So it was, uh, it was a good move. I, I don't regret it. it. It's a good family move maybe. It's a good business move. But how did you feel as a surfer? As a surfer, I was disappointed. But, uh, but I had surfed a lot and, you know, and then it wasn't long up there when he, our business up there was growing. We did well and we both bought property in Baja. So then we'd start, uh, and this was during the windsurfing era, the sailboards. Um, uh, we, we uh, went, it was a windsurfing spot that we went to and then we found out that we could drive 10, 15 minutes down the road dirt road and find good waves so okay. we came back into surfing got it um what i'm impressed by when we look at your timeline is how quickly you pivot you know you assess kind of a problem or or like for example you decide start the business in 59 by early 60s just three or four years in you decide you're not into production shaping yeah so then you uh find people who are good at that skill yeah, set yeah. and allow them to do that. And then you focus on other things. Oh, well, I would design the boards and they would build them. Right. Build. So you know what your strengths are and then you yeah. delegate the ones that aren't yeah. your strengths. I find myself eight years into things, banging my head against a wall, trying to make things work, you know? <laughs> um, so not everybody has that skill set of delegation yeah. and also the kind of, I don't know, confidence and maybe whimsy of just pivoting and going a different direction because you started that business 
when you did, and you were moving to Idaho in 74. Mm-hmm. That's a relatively short period of time. It to is like, now, looking back on yeah, it, it is now. To yeah. like grow a at business. At the time, it wasn't a short period. I mean, at the time, it was, it, I just felt it was the time to do it. I mean, it, it, it I just knew it was, was the right thing to do. Yeah. It was almost like, well, I sort of had to do it because there was no other option. I mean, it wasn't, things weren't going well. But even your clarity in saying that is unique because there's a lot of business owners that will just write it to the ground. They'll just be like, no, 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 I'm not giving up. I'm going to bring on financial investment. I'm going to buy a bigger space. I'm going to grow it, you know. Well, this was still a pretty young young industry at the time. And, you know, and I had, I I really had a good rapport with all my employees. You know, we were basically family, you know, and it was tough to make that decision when I had to go in and tell them, hey, guys. You know, yeah. you, if you want to go to San Diego and work for Gordon and Smith, you can. But, but I'm moving to Idaho and right. closing this down. And uh, yeah, it was tough. However, now I still there'll be some guys here uh, this Thursday uh, that were employees and stuff back in those days, and they still call me boss. And Do they? Stuff. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Good <laughs> for you. I mean, that's a that's a attribute to yeah. your. I think I had a good. I think, yeah, I, they liked me. Yeah. You know, I, I wasn't important. a bad boss at all. That's I awesome. wasn't hard on people. Probably I should have been harder on some. <laughs> you know, th- there were times when I would get upset because things aren't going right. You sure. Know, as far as the quality of some one step or something like that, and you get pissed off. And yeah. Start yelling at people and things like that because you just can't stand it. Yeah, you know? of course. But, uh, uh, the other the other employees were pretty good at calming me down when that happened. Good. <laughs> um, who is Matt Calvani to you? Matt Calvani, I just met him in the year 2000 on, on, on the beach in Baja when I still had my house down there. I had come out of the water uh, from surfing. I had a dune buggy down there at the time, and I was changing my trunks by the dune buggy, and I was with another friend. And this uh, Volkswagen, rental Volkswagen bug, drove up with two shortboards on it and the two guys got out and and since we were the only four guys on the whole beach, you know, we started talking about the waves. It was starting to get a little windy and and they were thinking about going on the water and so we were talking about what it was like. And then I noticed that this one guy was looking at me like 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 this, you know, out of the corner of his eye. Finally he said, Are you Bing Copeland? And I, I said, Yeah, I am. And he said I said he said, I owe you money. I said, What for? He said, Well I was shaving some Bing and Rick boards for Rick Stoner's son, Jeff. Rick Stoner had passed away, and, and uh, his son was making these Bing and Rick boards just for fun, you know, and he had Matt shaping them. And, and so I said, great, you know, I'll, I'll be coming through on my way back to Idaho. I'll come through Hermosa, and maybe we'll have lunch. And he said, by the way, I'd like to, I'd really like to build your boards if you want somebody to build your boards. And I said, well, Mike Eaton's making my boards in San Diego, and... Uh, I would never take it away from him, uh, but I'll ask him, you know, and I did. And Mike said, hey, sure. And he was busy building uh, paddling boards at that point and um, his own models and things. So uh, he said, sure, send him down. I'll give him all the decals, logos and stuff like that and get him started. So that's how it happened uh, in the year 2000. If you aren't driving a car right now, I'm going to suggest you stop the podcast and type in driftline.co. Check out their patented neoprene-lined drifties board shorts. 
Sounds simple, right? Neoprene-lined board shorts sounds like a no-brainer. Well, it is, and they've actually patented it, so it's a total game changer. From the outside, it looks like a modern technical board short, quick dry, four-way stretch, they look great, but sewn inside to it is a half millimeter of neoprene, which provides unparalleled comfort, Comfort in the way of warmth, compression, and preventing the chafe that you will inevitably experience if you're spending an entire day of board shorts. Sand gets in there, but the neoprene prevents all of that. So whether you are surfing, wakeboarding, foiling, windsurfing, jet skiing, any and all of it is improved vastly by a pair of drifties. Again, driftline.co. I have a promo code, it'll save you 15%. That is the word SPIT, four letters. The code is SPIT and the website is driftline.co. You can thank me later and enjoy. When you're hiring for a small business, you wanna find quality professionals that are right for the role and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. 
FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. And what, um, when you had those meetings with Matt, why did you feel comfortable with him? I liked him. I liked him. Uh, he was he was intelligent. Uh, I I could tell he was a good craftsman by what I saw that he had done, uh, and he had the desire. And uh, it, I just it just felt right. Hmm. It felt right, and it and it was right. Hmm. He, he has turned out to be. Uh, a fabulous we, we're partners in the name he owns the business basically but we're partners in the name and what has he done with it in the last 19 years oh he's done tremendous with it brought it totally back to where it's very popular again in fact probably like in their in Encinitas store this is another neat thing about the current era their Encinitas store probably 30% of their new board sales are to girls more and more girls surfing. Absolutely, yeah. And surfing really well. Totally. Uh, where back in my day, there was only a handful of girls on the whole coast that were worth right. anything, you know. So, so this really expands your customer base when you, when, you know, when, when now we're not dealing with just guys, we're dealing with guys and girls. Yeah. You know? so. What else is different about um, the current incarnation of Bing Surfboards retail shop versus <clears throat> back in the day when it was in... The South Bay. Well, more clothing, you know, where we didn't have that sort of thing in those days. Uh, you have to have some clothing nowadays to, to uh, augment the, the the cost of a retail store. You know, you can't have a, a nice retail store in a good location and just sell surfboards. It doesn't it doesn't add up. No, it really doesn't. Yeah. So you have to have. A good combination of merchandise to make the there's there's a bigger markup percentage-wise in the soft goods than there is in surfboards. Right. It's um, that idea of you starting out with your first shop on the strand, just finding a space and being able to close it when you need to lifeguard, is completely unfeasible today. Oh, There's no space available anywhere yeah. near the beach yeah. for a reasonable rent. Well, yeah, you couldn't afford it. And you have to have just like a really solid revenue model um, to operate a business anywhere near the beach. Yet, and, and we were kind of talking before the mics went on about when I was growing up, I had to go through surf shops to become a surfer. Right. 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 Because yeah. that was the only place you could buy surfboards. That was the only right. place you could buy board shorts. Board shorts weren't available in well, Nordstrom. And or, that's also where you heard where where it was breaking, where this you know where the good waves were, where you know, somebody said I went to Malibu, and because in those you know in those days you didn't have surf reports and you didn't have uh, internet and so forth, so uh, it was word of mouth on on what was happening in different. Yeah. different spots and so you you heard about them in the surf shops right but now for a surf shop to exist it has to be profit centered like it has, it has that it is has the be. motivation of the business now it has to be and it's unfortunately it has to be yeah. yeah so what do you think is lost as somebody who kind of went through all of those various eras is now a worse time is now a better time what's lost on our youth well, it, you know, it's it's just what it's grown into. I mean, this is just what uh, 
you know, it's, it's evolved to this point. And, and there's no, you can't say, I, I'm, I'm going to open just a, a surfboard shop. You can't do it. Because yeah. It's not. When, when you go into Bing Surfboards Encinitas, do you feel that there is something lost there that isn't translated I, from yeah, the 60s? I would, I would if I was walking in from the old era. But anybody that's used to the, to the new era, it's just fine. Okay. You know? uh, we do have, uh, we, you know, we have classic bings hanging in the ceiling and, and, and around, and, and then the new boards on the walls. And uh, probably our shop is more surfboards than soft goods, percentage-wise, than most of the other, I would call, major surf shops. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of major surf shops that don't build boards, period. There's a lot of major surf shops that don't have a board label. They just bring in Yeah, I wouldn't call them surf things. shops. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. What, do we, what, what should we well, call them? Well, they're them? sporting goods, you know, that, you know I, would, I would say. Or, or uh, I don't know, but I, I guess they're surf shops. But in my mind, a surf shop is you build the boards and, 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 you, have, and you show them in your showroom. Yeah, the label on the board is the label on the yeah. Building, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a good Well, point. you know, but then, like on the East Coast and those places, then surf shops opened with multi-labels. You know, right. they would buy Bings and Hobies and Hansons and Gordon and Smith and Jacobs. And, right. And then the kids could decide what they wanted. But they there wasn't, there was very few shops back there that uh, were owned and run by the person that made the boards. Right. Um, can you envision a future where all surf products, surfboards included, are purchased online? Um, that's interesting because I watch that closely with our, 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 uh, our printouts of our sales. And it's growing. The online purchases of surfboards. You know, we, we do a lot of, uh, you know, logos and decals and, and software and stuff online. But there's more and more high-end product like a surfboard going you know that's a hard thing for somebody to do you know i'll bring i'll do this back when i didn't have dealers and the east coast was kind of coming on i did a mail order ad i said you know that we, uh, you can mail order a bing board and i it was interesting because like say somebody from Cocoa beach one kid would take a chance and mail me 25 buck deposit or something and and then we build the board and he gets it and it's a successful transaction you know um, we get five or six more orders from his buddies so that kind of grew in different areas it was you know I, that's what i wanted to pursue rather than having dealers i wanted to try and promote that uh, mail mail order board right to the, where it's still direct yeah but. yeah um i mean really the only kind of uh hurdle for the online thing to take over is just shipping cost. It's expensive to ship surfboards. Right. Well, it's expensive. It's, it's more expensive to ship an individual board to somebody, of course, yeah. than to send uh, six or eight boards to a shop. You know. If though, they could solve whoever Amazon's drones, whatever, yeah. solve the shipping problem, and somebody can order a bang online, um, and have it shipped to them for the same price. What would be lost in that exchange from going into the retail store, or would there be? Anything? Uh, I think it would be 
wonderful because it would be a lot easier to deal with the individual than to than to deal with dealers where you have to worry about collections and this and that. Um, but uh, I, I kind of think we're going to need both. Yeah. What do you think is lost in the exchange as opposed to going into a retail store and engaging with the sales staff? Or I think it depends on the retail store. You know, what about for Bing surfboards specifically in Encinitas? Well, we, we try to have... Uh, people that, that know, really know our brand and our shapes. You know, a salesman now has to know longboards, mid-links and shortboards. You know, has to be proficient in, in, uh, in describing them and, and, and helping somebody pick one out. So, and hopefully they can ride all three. Right, that helps. <laughs> yeah. Awesome, well Bing, thank you so much. question and uh initially um i kind of got into shaping under other brands and not my own brand because i kind of wanted to make my life simpler because mm. back you know 2000 when i took over being um from mike eaton it was like the path of least resistance it was like i wasn't uh, very good at self-promoting and i could just automatically pick up accounts overseas i had like it doors opened instantly when i picked up the brand so at that time it was interesting it was just the opposite it wasn't having i didn't have to do anything except make the boards okay and then now with uh once you grow the brand and then you start realizing you do need to keep promoting the brand and and fostering its legacy and creating content and things to keep it relevant then we ended up having to bring a ton of people in and now we have like 18 employees Oh my gosh! Yeah, so it kind of it it turned into the opposite, um, which is you know it's all about delegating, and uh, that's not easy to do. You know when you when you want things done a certain way, especially it's a little easier because it isn't my name, and I'm not saying that I don't I don't care about it as much as I would care about my own name if my name was on the board. Um, if anything, I care about it more because it's somebody else's legacy, and I don't want to let them down. Right. So I do as much as I possibly can to keep it keep it going, but also I have to rely on other people. I mean that's just a fact, and uh, and now it's more work to keep it because you don't want it to be a stodgy brand, right. you know. Like a lot of the old brands have just gotten stodgy, you know, and uh, kind of not you know evolved or not been relevant in the public you know, eye. So you know, and that's sort of their demise in a sense. Dreaming seems to carry me right to where I want to be Wrapped up in your arms and feeling better Rivers will run, mountains will rise I love you more than the stars in the sky I'll never treat you wrong, won't make you cry Sing your sweet love songs Won't tell you lies Wouldn't you like to go Riding with me 
That was the voice of Matt Calvani back in 2017. It is an excerpt from Surf Splendor episode 190. I've posted that episode in your show notes if you'd like to hear about Matt Calvani carrying on the legacy of Bing surfboards. Or, of course, you could find it in whatever app you're listening to this. If you scroll back to 2017, it's a long ways back. Or surfsplendorpodcast.com, where you can find photos of everything that I discussed here today with Bing including his old original surf shop, the new surf shop, the boards, Bing Copeland surfing himself, and much, much more. Both Bing and Matt Calvani will, in fact, be at the boardroom show this weekend, October 7th and 8th, at the Del Mar Fairgrounds in San Diego, California. Come one, come all. I think tickets are $20 at the door, uh, or $20 for both days if you go to boardroomshow.com. It'll be an awesome weekend. I look forward to seeing you. I look forward to connecting with listeners every year there. So swing on by. Or if you're not able to, if you don't live nearby, I will be back here with an all-new episode of Surf Splendor next week. So look forward to that. Catch uh, Chaz Smith and I over on The Grit at the end of the week. And then at the beginning of every week, Scott Bass and I are always doing Spit. So you can find those shows as well as everything else that we produce on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Thanks for all the support. I'm honored to do the work. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. And until next week, I'm encouraging you to get back in the ocean, share some waves, and shred off. Eagles will fly. I love you more than the stars in the sky. Yes, I love you, girl. Yes, I love you.